Maybe if uh, oh yeah, I love hearing my voice. It uh, it makes me speak slower. Oh yeah, which is cool. Interesting. If you move here more, then okay. it, you know, there. I don't want to meet you, Aaron. <laughs> it's reparations, guys. Welcome to the Katie Halper Show. I'm your host, Katie Halper, and I'm joined by Gabriel Pacheco. That's right, I'm here. How's it going? Great. Aaron Mate is a Brooklyn-based journalist and former host producer for The Real News and Democracy Now!, and he's a frequent contributor to The Nation. Welcome. So welcome, Aaron. Hey. Hey, how's it going? Good. Good. Um, by the way, I just want to clear something up. It's Aaron Mate, even though there's the accent over the E. Mm-hmm which would indicate it's mate, Mm -hmm. but it is mate. You know, I really don't care. Because who knows? I mean, who am I to dictate how something should be said? Right. I didn't invent the name. Right. And in fact, the the original family name was Meltzer. Meltzer? Yeah, back in Hungary. But but the Nazis were about to invade, so they changed it to something less Jewish. And were they like, oh, these guys are total goyim? Uh, Well, no. no, My uh, family didn't pass? No, unfortunately not. My... uh, that's a whole other story. Yeah. But 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 luckily my uh, my grandparents and, and my father survived and that's why I'm here. Yeah. It's a great happy ending. Yeah. Yeah. yeah all <laughs> praises due to the ancestors. The elders. The elders, that's right. yeah. That's right. The Altakaka. That's right. Uh, if you will. I don't know what that means. I uh, means I think it actually means old shitter, but it's Yiddish for old people. Okay. Okay. Well it's learning crazy. new things. We've already maxed out our Jewish content in the first minute of this whole Oh podcast. no. We Are you kidding? Yeah, I know that's it, but there has to be a limit, I think, these days on, on Jewish stuff. Oh it's like, I see. Okay. <laughs> like reparations for decades of, of Jewish content in, in media. I think we have to cap it right there. Yeah, I see what you mean. We we hit the quota. <laughs> exactly. Aaron is pro quota on Jews. I really Hot am Hot take. I really am. Bringing it back. <laughs> um but no, it's actually you I mean, you're someone who we can do an extra bonus uh, episode with you on the Jew question, but I think it's good for Jews like you to talk about it because uh, we got to do, we have to show an alternative to APAC. We do. Yeah. Yes, we do. But we'll do that another time. Um, but anyway, so Aaron is uh, Mate uh, Curious. You're fine with Mate or Mate. <laughs> Whatever you wish. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yes. So tell us about how you got into Russiagate. Okay, yeah. So this has been um, uh, something I've been covered, covering pretty extensively for the last two years. And the reason I got into it is because, um, I don't know, pretty quickly, I saw that it was becoming a thing, after, tr- especially after Trump's victory. Although even before, there were some rumblings about you know Trump being compromised by Russia and all this stuff. But I just saw that, you know, as it became a, you know... Um, a dominant political issue and and in the early stages after the election it was pretty obvious that democrats were trying to use it to not talk about why they lost which i thought was a really uh dangerous thing because i didn't think that uh russia was the reason why uh donald trump won i think it was because donald trump exploited um a sufficient level of discontent with the failure of Democrats in the states where it mattered. Obviously, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote, so there's just the systemic electoral college issue. But in terms of what the Democrats were responsible uh, in terms of their loss, I think I saw early on that Russia was being used as a foil, and I thought that was dangerous. And I, you know, just 
you could tell already that there was like this um, narrative being set about you know uh, a possible conspiracy and uh, and this massive Russian influence campaign, and I just thought that was dangerous, not just in terms of taking us off the ball uh, when it comes to what we should be thinking about in terms of why the Democrats failed, but also how that could be used to to drum up to drum up U.S. Russia tensions, yeah. uh, which was you know, a part of Trump's platform, whether he meant it or not, was that he wanted to cooperate with Russia. And on the campaign trail, there were elements of his party and other elements of the national security state apparatus that were opposed to that. And so I just kind of saw quickly these two shady uh, interests dovetailing, Democrats wanting to deflect from their own failure, and then elements of the national security state that wanted to undermine whatever efforts he would have undertaken, whether he meant that or not, to to reduce tensions with Russia. And, you know, it we've just seen it explode over the last two years. This has been our dominant political focus. And I think, you know, just from a journalistic perspective, it's bullshit. Like, all the evidence for it is at least so far. I mean, maybe Mueller will have something amazing, but I just don't think it's there. Yeah. It's interesting because there is this ridiculously embarrassing, I think, kind of way of thinking where whatever Trump does by definition is bad. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to be a Trump fan or an apologist to think that sometimes someone bad does something good for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've seen this a lot with like North Korea, Russia, um, the same people and Syria, right? So the same people who attack uh, Donald Trump and say he has dementia um, also want him to be harder and tougher on Putin, mm-hmm. on North Korea. And what is, I mean, I think we've talked about this before, but in case listeners haven't heard this, and I think it's worth going into a little bit deeper, but what do you think the game plan is for these people? Do they just want to attack him and don't really want him to um, stoke tension uh, in relations with Putin and North Korea and Syria? Do they want war? What do you think it is? Like when Howard Dean, for instance, like calls out Trump as being a coward uh, and too close with Putin and wants him to, you know, act on Syria. I don't think they, like, think to themselves that they want war. I just think that they're failed elites who don't have anything to offer the American people. So they're, they have to fall back on, like, you know, reflexive opposition to whatever Trump does. And because elements of the national security state have also opposed, you know, for example reducing tensions with Russia and denuclearizing the North Korean peninsula. If those national security state officials um, oppose it, then, you know, then then that's who Democrats have to go along with as well, because they sort of attach themselves to this, like, fantasy of these brave law enforcement um, officials standing up to Trump. And that's and those are the people that are going to save us. And they don't have anything to offer on their own. And uh, they part of the reason why they don't want to develop anything to offer on their own is because to do that would be to reflect honestly about losing to Trump in 2016, which, you know, like, I do think that these, whoever stole the emails, whether it was Russia or whether it was somebody else, I I still don't know, but I do think that that the emails had an impact on some voters. I'm sure they did. But overall, I mean, we saw, I think, a revolt against the failed policies of both parties, you know, and Trump, whether it was like talking about bringing jobs back to to communities that had been hollowed out by the neoliberal policies of both 
the Democrats and the Republicans, or talking about scaling back foreign military interventions, the, you know, like the cost of which is borne mostly by low-income communities. And that's why there are even studies showing that in communities where military sacrifice was higher, i.e. more people died, uh, more people lost soldiers, support for Trump was also higher mm. because Trump was the only one on the campaign trail talking about scaling back intervention. Again, I'm not saying that I think he meant it. Right. I, I think he's a great con yeah. artist, but I think he was he recognized something out there and he capitalized on it. He had a clear message. He had a clear message. And yeah. uh, he had a clear, it, it, maybe it was a different message to every demographic, but every demographic was heard yeah. for a moment. Yeah. Whereas when the Democrats spoke, it was full of obfuscation and like, uh, we are going to, you know, what is it sort of, uh, we're going to talk about our, the higher, our higher angels or sort of like a, um, a morality based, uh, way of looking at things, a greater good. Yeah. Like we're, we're a wishy washy portrayal of this country that just no one buys anymore. I mean, like Obama did it. Obama sold everybody on hope and change, but it was a slogan. Not Sarah Palin. She was on to her membership talk, talking about the hopey, changey stuff. How's that hopey, changey stuff working out for you? Yeah, you know, and Noam Chomsky has a good line about that. He says, you know, I don't always, I don't often agree with Sarah Palin, but she had a point with that. <laughs> you know, and she did because it was phony. And, uh, you know, um, people just d- don't buy it anymore. Uh, it, it didn't work. And, you know, uh, unfortunately, Trump was the beneficiary of that discontent. So someone like Howard Dean, I mean, I... I just think he doesn't have anything really to offer people, and not and not to single him out, but he's he represents that class of failed Democrats, and so yeah, I mean you know they'll throw out this conspiracy theory that Trump is a Russian asset, and they'll throw out this like these national security state talking points about how somehow like denuclearizing the Korean Peninsula is a threat to U.S. security, which is just a it's just a joke. I mean, um, the fact is there are people who have an interest in keeping 30,000 U.S. troops in the Korean Peninsula. But how that actually uh, uh, meaningfully um, defends anyone's security, uh, let alone the U.S.'s, is, is beyond me. And, you know, and, ex- and that's why when, asked to, when, when pressed on any of this stuff, they actually can't defend it. Right. Um, so let's talk about the latest a smoking gun. Uh, how many smoking guns have there been so far? Glenn Greenwald has a great piece just yeah. now talking about all the, on the intercept, talking about all the bombshells that right. have, that have well, collapsed. Right. Well, only 10 of them, actually, which is just a sampling. Scratching the surface. Scratching the surface. Yeah. yeah, he has a piece called Beyond BuzzFeed, the 10 worst, most embarrassing U.S. media failures on the Trump-Russia story, which is very clever, of course, because as Glenn writes, BuzzFeed was once notorious for traffic-generating listicles, but has since become an impressive outlet for deep investigative journalism under editor-in-chief Ben Smith. That outlet was prominently in the news thanks to its bombshell story about President Trump and Michael Cohen, a story that, like so many others of its kind, blew up in its face, this time when the typically mute Robert Mueller office, Robert Mueller's office took the extremely rare step to label its key claims inaccurate. And then in homage, in homage to BuzzFeed's past viral glory, following are the top 10 worst media failures in two plus years of Trump Russia reporting we could actually we could go over these do you want to go over them or we could no too many too boring too many all right you know people should read the article do you have any faves that's what i'm all about i love it when people do the work go on wikipedia Wikipedia go to the intercept go to jacobin you can read the articles we all have time i've got an app called pocket what i do with pocket is i pocket's great yeah i you know you grab the article you put it in pocket Bomb. Access there it, it without is. being online, right? Exactly. All right. 
Yeah. So so this BuzzFeed story though is really embarrassing and it's 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 very um the whole thing is very funny. I mean it's sad. It's sad for journalism and it's sad for it, like it speaks to how kind of pathetic this whole Russiagate thing is, but basically so um you had BuzzFeed reporting that uh Robert Mueller has evidence that uh Mike that, that uh Donald Trump instructed Michael Cohen to lie to Congress about the so-called Moscow project, which was this effort by the Trump organization to build a Trump Tower in Moscow. Uh, Trump signed a letter of intent about for this thing in 2015. And the, the, the dominant theory is that, you know, like this, you know, this, uh, this Trump Tower project, you know, uh, points to, you know, a, a Trump, a deep Trump involvement in Russia, uh, tr- Russia and po- Russia possibly having leverage over Trump because of it, because of either um, because of the fact that there were these secret negotiations, and uh, Russia knows about it, and that they can possibly use that to you know as leverage over Trump. This is a theory that uh, Chris Hayes even wow. uh, has uh, has propagated. But the problem is, and the, and the problem with this BuzzFeed story is that even even on its face, even before Robert Mueller denied it. Which is a big deal. Which is a very big deal. There was already so many reasons to question it, you know, and some of us pointed them out on Twitter. But basically, like, the deal, like, there were no negotiations. The, and the deal never went anywhere beyond a letter, beyond Trump signing a letter of intent with a pretty low-level Russian bank. But it never had Russian government approval. It never had Russian financing. The only real negotiations are pretty much amount to Michael Cohen, Trump's lawyer and fixer, bickering with his Trump organization colleague, this weird dude named Felix Sater. And basically, it's like, you know, we've seen some of their emails. It's basically Cohen berating Sater because Sater keeps promising all these, like, he keeps promising Russian financing. He keeps promising, like, a meeting. He's trying, and he's trying to arrange a trip for both Cohen and Trump. And Cohen gets increasingly frustrated because Cohen thinks that Sater's making him look bad in front of Mr. T. Mr. Trump is boss. I pity the fool. I pity the fool. I pity the fool. So, you know, and like, that's the extent really of the secret negotiations. So even on the question of like motive, like what motive. So if Trump were to have ordered Cohen to lie to Congress, he'd be ordering him to lie about a project that went nowhere. And the only Kremlin role amounts to this. Basically, at a certain point, Cohen got so annoyed with Felix Sater because he kept promising all this stuff that Cohen wrote uh, like... Cohen says, like, I'm taking, you know, like, Cohen told Sater that he's taking it upon upon himself. I'm taking it from here. And Cohen wrote to a general press email address at the Kremlin because he wanted some help. And he was like, hey, can anyone there help me? We want to we do this project in Moscow. And uh, Cohen got a phone call back from a, an, an assistant to the uh, Kremlin press secretary uh, who told him basically that, sorry, we don't, we don't build hotels or houses, but if you want to come to this forum, this like uh, big conference in St. Petersburg in six months, you're welcome to attend. So that's the extent of the Kremlin's assistance. It's literally a phone call from an assistant saying we can't assist. But all that gets lost in this effort to turn something, um, uh, to turn this into something. And now it is true that Cohen lied to Congress, but like what he actually lied to Congress about is basically the timing of, of, of when him and Felix Sater stopped talking about it. Like he told Congress they stopped talking in January 2016 and really they kept talking about it until June. 
And he also lied about the the number of times him and Trump spoke about it. He didn't deny speaking to Trump about it. He just said that they spoke three times when really he now says they spoke more than that. So why did he lie about it? Miss like Well, he says that he says that he was doing that basically he was follow, like, you know, after the election he was following Trump's uh, public statements where Trump was denying business deals in Russia. And so he 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 thought he wanted to be consistent with Trump's right political messaging so he thought you know he, he's a loyal guy he wanted to impress mr t yeah and so i think he thought that by lying he would be doing trump a favor but really ultimately he made things worse uh and you know but the fact is that like in when Mueller actually charged cohen with lying he didn't say that uh he didn't say that trump directed him to do it he said like cohen even said in court i did this to be consistent with what i thought was trump's right. political messaging so that means that if Mueller has evidence that Trump told Cohen to lie, then Mueller would have been letting Cohen lie in court about why he did it. So none of it made right. sense. So so Trump would have been asking Cohen to lie about a deal that went nowhere. Um, Mueller didn't uh, uh, have Cohen plead in court to the fact to this claim that BuzzFeed had that uh, Trump told him to do it. And also BuzzFeed said the weirdest thing. They said that Mueller was able to figure all this out uh, that that Trump had told Cohen to lie through text messages, emails, right. and a cache of documents, as well as witnesses uh, from the Trump organization. So it's like, really? Like, you here you have this impeachable offense, like Trump telling his fixer to lie to Congress. He's like, can we get a stenographer in here? Too? Yeah, exactly. So it's just, it, none of it uh, made sense. And and BuzzFeed, again, calls these, calls these talks about the project negotiations, implying that it was some kind of like Trump-Russia thing, but really... It's except for like a couple of letters with from like a Russian uh, banker. It's really amounts to Felix and uh, Sater and Cohen arguing with each other. Back to Jewish content, by the way, you went over the the quota, Michael Cohen. <laughs> yeah, a good deal is when everybody leaves feeling unhappy. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, some people love uh, arguing. The art, the art of the deal. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Michael Cohen also you f- you forgot to include in his biography um, David Schwimmer body double. There we go. It looks a lot like him. That's right. Um, so what do you think um, is going to happen to this BuzzFeed story? I mean, it's a big deal that Robert Mueller denied it, right? He's not hes not a very talkative dude. Uh, BuzzFeed's standing by it. And, you know, they, which I just think makes it all the more ridiculous because for the first time, Robert Mueller has not commented on any story, basically. One time he issued a blanket statement saying that, you know, everyone should be careful. But other, he's never denied a story. The fact that he came out and denied a story is huge. And according, if the Washington Post is correct, Mueller felt compelled to act because um, because they wanted to deny the core aspects of this story. Now, the reason why that's important is because people have been parsing Mueller's denial for ambiguity and trying to make something out of it. But it really, I mean, like, um, and then Mueller's team even revealed that uh, Jason Leopold, one of the BuzzFeed reporters, had written uh, when they when Leopold wrote Mueller's office for comment, Leopold didn't reveal really the entire central claim of his story. He said that he said that we're hey we're doing a story that Trump uh, told Michael Cohen to lie to Congress. He didn't tell Mueller hey we're doing a story that you your office has evidence that Cohen told uh, that, that Trump told Michael Cohen to lie to Congress. So uh, and according to the Washington Post reporting. If Mueller's office had known uh, that that was going to be the claim, that claiming that Mueller's office itself had that evidence, 
then they would have even more forcefully pushed back than they did. So, you know, but despite all that, BuzzFeed's still standing by it. Um, you know, like, obviously, some I don't think they're lying that someone told them this, obviously. Right. But, you know, this would not be the first time that, like, a anonymous source gets things totally wrong. There was the, the time when both NBC and CNN reported that Don Jr. was given the WikiLeaks emails before they were publicly released. This was huge, and this was a big bombshell. It turned out afterwards that actually Don Jr. got the WikiLeaks emails after they came out. Right. So basically, he got them like everybody else. Yeah. So, you know, uh, and it's a, it's a culture that has produced stories like that, I think, that allows BuzzFeed to even, you know, like, to, to even think it's possible to still stick by its story, even though Mueller has just denied it. And it speaks to how much Russiagate has degraded U.S. journalism and, mm. you know, uh, I'm just praying that it's over soon. Well, the the cool thing about Russiagate and how it's degraded uh, U.S. journalism, and the cool thing about I think having Trump as president, which is bad. <laughs> um, one of the silver linings is that all the failures of the media, which used to be kind of couched, are so transparent mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Um, the like extreme irresponsibility, the lack of rigor, um, the political. Like, the partisan nature of it. God, I, sound, I feel like I sound like a right-winger with, with talking about the liberal media. But it is true. The liberal... There is an agenda. It, the problem isn't that it, it likes gay people or is for abortion or whatever, however they would call it. I guess they would describe it as pro-baby killing or something. I mean, that's not the issue. But it does have its problems, as we're seeing. And it, I, I mean, I, I asked you the other day, like if you, if it, if it drives you crazy, if your like blood pressure goes up when you see <laughs> another thing, but I guess for health reasons, you couldn't let that happen because you'd be <laughs> six feet under by now. But, um, yeah, what is it? I mean, do you just, do you have a Google alert about Russiagate? How do you even keep up with it? You know, when you're not convinced of the conspiracy theory, it's really easy to, I mean, just, you know, like it's really easy to follow and to understand the, the problem is so many people have bought into the underlying conspiracy theory. They really believe that uh, Trump is a Russian asset and that Russia is waging this massive campaign to influence the U.S. And uh, that's psychological. There's a profound mm. psychological incident going on. Yeah. Yeah, and and, and you know, part of the part of the American disinformation effort has been to you know, like has been to say that RT is influencing Americans when like an RT reaches, I don't know, 20 people. Yeah. It's yeah. like not, you know, <laughs> and, you know, like, but like what, when the, when the U S intelligence community came out with this big report in January, 2017. So two years ago, um, that was a big index on RT, like uh, analyzing RT's coverage and actually analyzing RT's coverage from like years ago. Right, so yeah. like with Abby from, from with Abby, yeah. when Abby Martin was there back in like 2011, they were cut co- and they were talking about like, RT's coverage of Occupy Wall Street. Like, who cares? Right. And it's, you know, I mean, it, it, it's cool that intelligence officials want to dabble in media studies. Yeah, right. But how that gets us to, like, this, like, this, this, like, pervasive Russian campaign to sow division and discord, it's, it, it is, is beyond me. And so what is going on is, it's something psychological. It's, mm-hmm. um, I think it comes back to, I mean, there are many factors. I think Trump's victory was... Mm-hmm. really depressing and really traumatizing and triggering yeah. for many yeah. people. Yeah, very triggering, yeah. Understandably. And so when you're presented with this answer that it's all the fault of Russia and, and all the fault of a Trump-Russia conspiracy that this, you know, Saint Robert Mueller is going to save us from, it's it's convenient to latch on to that. Right. 
Uh, it's also self-serving. If you're a failed democratic elite, and I know I use that term a lot, but I just I, I just don't think it can be stressed enough. Right. If you're a failed democratic elite, either in politics or in the media, you know you um, you were so confident that Clinton right. was going to win. Like pun, you know, I every pundit on MSNBC was predicting a landslide. Right. I remember like there was talk of like Clinton winning Georgia and other <laughs> other Republican states. If you're in the media, you were part of a system that gave Trump billions of dollars worth of airtime, right. free airtime. Um, and you're also part of a system that that has, you know, done well for yourself uh, and and enjoyed the uh, the benefits of privilege, all the while. Uh, your preferred candidates like you know Clinton and Obama have presided over the uh, in, an economic system that has left out a lot of people. And so when they revolt, instead of looking at their concerns and saying, geez, like what can this system that my privilege is benefited from, well, how has this system hurt people and what can I do to maybe change my uh, relationship to it? Uh, there's none of that. There's this, um, it, it's easy then to blame Trump and right. And a conspiracy with Russia, and uh, you know, so like, it's uh, it's something psychological that goes, I think, beyond one's ability to process facts. It's like yes. e- either you've drunk the Kool Aid or you haven't. Right. Well, if you drink the Kool Aid, you you can be on Pod Save America and get an HBO show. Exactly, there are incentives to conformity. Yes. That's a huge thing. I yeah. mean, like for me, Speak I mean, you know, like I'm like I've been writing about this for two years. And, it, and is your journalism sponsored by Coca Cola? It's not, and certainly or Goldman Sachs. No, and you know Raytheon. Like, but no, and and, and I can't get invited. Like you know, like I can't. Like I haven't even on like. Just for example, I, I worked at Democracy Now for ten years. Yeah. But I haven't even been invited. Why? There. Well, you know, it's like it's. Amy, you're on notice. It, there, there's just unfortunately because see for, from that perspective, from that aspect of the left, I think it just. Because Russiagate has been branded as being anti-Trump on the surface, mm-hmm. like right. Trump tweets about it and he's angry about it, and so like reflexively everyone thinks that like to ad- adopt Russiagate is is to be anti-Trump, but it's it's not. And when you look at what Russiagate's actually done, distracting us from his actual policies and undermining a real resistance, it's a resistance to reality. It's a resistance to authentic resistance. Exactly. Exactly. Right. We focus on that instead of the uh, legalizing offshore drilling everywhere. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Or <laughs> one of the biggest protests of Trump's presidency uh, has been the over the firing of Jeff Sessions. Oh my gosh. So tens of thousands oh of people God, right. marched across right. the country <laughs> the day after Jeff Sessions was fired because they were worried about the Mueller probe. They were worried about the sanctity of the Mueller probe. Jeff Sessions is the resistance. I mean that that the day was he got fired he became part of it. Yeah, and you know people, you know speakers there would say we don't we don't like Jeff Sessions, but if there's one thing right. we agree on it's the it's it's protecting the Mueller investigation. And it's like so that's an example right. of how we psyched ourselves up into focusing on this like Mueller probe is the BLN end all, whereas you know when uh, Trump guts Obamacare, mm-hmm, right. so it makes an awful system even worse. Right. Uh, or when he he and the Republicans preside over like one of the biggest, if not the biggest, uh, upward transfers of wealth in U.S. history with the tax bill, cutting uh, corporate taxes. I mean, there were there were far fewer uh, protests over that. So it's just like, like, right. like, what does that tell us about where we're at? Right. Like, what could Rachel Maddow have spoken about in all the hours that she spent on Russiagate? <laughs> issues that concern working people right. and people's actual lives and issues that can help people understand the political decisions that are being made about their well-being. 
which then obviously, you know, an informed citizenry, citizenry then leads to action. But we're an uninformed uh, citizenry because all we're informed about is Russiagate propaganda. Right. So, for example, and, and speculation that, like, Putin got from Rachel Maddow, for example. I, I can go through some of her conspiracy theories. Like, Putin got uh, Trump to stop those war games on the Korean Peninsula. Uh, Putin got Rex Tillerson hired and then got him fired as well. Right. Um, uh, Putin uh, is is getting Trump to bleed out the FBI. I mean, I can, like, on and on and on. Right. There's all, all these insane... You know, Putin is going to blackmail Trump into uh, withdrawing U.S. forces from from Eastern Europe because of the P-tape. Right. All of this you can find on the Rachel Maddow show in like long, extensive monologues that I'm sure her producers work really yes. hard on. They're very discursive. We were talking about them. Yeah, and it's just it's a massive waste of of like it's turning a you know, like a a cable news outlet with a lot of reach into like just a well produced conspiracy theory channel. Right. You know? And, and all-, all of these best and brightest uh, kids from journalism school yeah. that go and work for these companies that uh, just provide like a nonsense made up story. Yeah. yeah. And she's a Rhodes Scholar, right? I mean, she's not an idiot. You can tell that she's very smart. So I think it speaks to that psychological disorder yeah. that you were talking about. Yeah. And uh, it's funny, Glenn Greenwald, I was talking to him and he said the similar thing about how there is, you know, sometimes people kind of in a cliched way will talk about psychology. Um, and not look at material conditions or sociological issues. Mm-hmm. But there is also, I mean, as you were saying, as Glenn was saying, there is something psychological that happens here. And I have a friend who's said that Trump's election to libs was like 9-11 to conservatives. And that both groups, like their worldview was blown up and they were so triggered. And that all the rational responses to it were kind of ignored uh, so, like, when, when 9-11 happened, the response that, that the right supported was invading Iraq, which is, like, couldn't be less, uh, couldn't be more counterproductive, right? Like, they just doubled down on everything. My only problem with that, though, is that presumes that right-wingers were rational before 9-11. Yes, you're right. Yeah, you're right, you're right. I mean, I just think 9-11 gave them an excuse to do what they always wanted to do. Right. Yeah. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna ask my friend about that. Maybe you guys can have a little debate. I like that though. I'm glad you're pushing back on that because it's true. That's what I do. I yeah. push back. Professional pushbacker. Professional pushbacker. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what? Can you talk a little bit about um, what are the privileges that people have? Like we know that there's a what you you've called this a um, racket protecting. What is it? A privilege protection racket. A privilege protection racket. PPR. Sure. We're branding yeah. it. You, sure. you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. What are these, the privileges? Like, you know, people get to be on MSNBC. Mm-hmm. What What are the privileges of that? It, I mean, there's airtime. Mm-hmm. What else does it confer? What else do you get from it? Well, there's a, been a huge uh, uh, cottage industry out of basically uh, sewing up uh, fear, like fear mongering about Russia. So there's all these think tanks. All these senior fellowships you can get at think tanks that are funded by places like the Atlantic Council. If you basically go along with this notion that Russia is an existential threat to the U.S. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, the Atlantic Council now is now working with Facebook to counter Russian disinformation. Uh, you know, and all this is done in the, in, in, in the interest of really shady people. So the Atlantic Council we, is funded by literally NATO uh, uh, wealthy Gulf states, uh, the European Union, 
Um, and so Russiagate has become has become a growth industry for anybody willing to uh, to fearmonger about Russia. And, and the reason why that there's an incentive to do that is because fearmongering with Russia is is profitable. So, for example, in the late 90s, when the U.S. Senate was debating the expansion of NATO, um, weapons manufacturers spent amongst some of their biggest lobbying expenditures ever because expanding NATO, even though it's totally from a security standpoint, it's it's uh, not only uh, useless, but it's actually dangerous. As, as the scholar Richard Sakwa says, NATO exists to counter threats that it creates itself. Um, so the lobbying expenditures were huge because for weapons manufacturers, an expansion of NATO and the ensuing tensions with Russia are profitable. And so if you get, if you want to get a piece of that action, then all you have to do is come up with studies saying, talking about Russian disinformation and uh, and basically anything that toes that line is profitable. So there's, there's like think tank money, there's uh, academic postings that are funded by these same uh, sources ultimately. Um, you know, if you're a Democrat, it, it, like that's the dominant party elite line. And so if you go against that, you're going to be painted possibly as a Russian dupe. You know, we've seen that like, you know, and, and, and it gets used against progressives like Bernie Sanders and Tulsi Gabbard and, mm-hmm. and Jill Stein as well. I mean, you know, so it's like there, there's like uh, there's a utility there in terms of it's a good weapon. If we're under attack by Russia, then it's a convenient um, uh, weapon to use against any any progressive who presents a real authentic threat to the centrist neoliberals who are propagating that, that fear mongering by, by just accusing them of being Russian dupes. It's a classic like McCarthyite dynamic. So. I mean, the interests abound, and, and just for cable networks, like you know, it's like a kind of like a real life spy thriller, you know. So it's it's exciting. Ooh, is the president going to get indicted? Is he a Russian agent? You know, it's like it's it's entertainment, and plus also, you know, and, and this goes back to like manufacturing consent, by like the book by Noam Chomsky and and Edward Herman. You know, media outlets are selling. Uh, advertisers a product and that product is audiences and they especially want privileged audiences because privileged audiences are the ones that are the most profitable and that's so, right and so privileged audiences uh, will want to see a, a worldview that reflects and also reinforces their own privilege so what could you know what could um, fulfill that function more than media outlets they don't talk about actual issues that challenge their own economic uh, dominance, but instead, you know, talk about how uh, you know this awful or this weird sit, uh, sit, uh, situation we're in, and, and our fucked up politics are the fault of 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 Trump and Russia, not a fault of our own. Yeah, that reminds me of how you know everybody talks about how Mad Men is such a great show, mm-hmm. but uh, very few people across the country actually watched it. But the thing was, is that the people that do watch it live in cities and make over a hundred thousand dollars a year. Exactly right. So for the advertisers for, mm-hmm. uh, that that put on during Mad Men, it's like, well, somebody's going to buy a Lexus from this. So it's a uh, very valuable to advertisers, not based on the number of people, but on their consumer choices and the power. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly. so meta, huh? Mad Men advertising. Right. Mm-hmm. So you know, new, news not for the people, but for a very specific elite subsect of the country. Exactly right. And it feeds them back the dream that they want to continue to live in. Oh, also, with in terms of privilege, a lot of these people. If you're a consultant, right, and you said that Hillary was definitely going to win, yep. Um, you don't want to be proven wrong by something predictable. 
Mm-hmm. You want something extraordinary to have happened. Force exactly majeure. Right. Exactly yes, right. Yes, right. Exactly um, right. That's why you have uh, Hillary Clinton herself saying, how did the Russians know how to target Wisconsin <laughs> and Michigan with these right. sophisticated ads? And uh, Robbie Mook, uh, her campaign manager, warning about the Russians dividing us again. I mean, it's so... Again, right. It's like, uh, right. like the Russians are the perfect foil to like to to blame for their own specific failures. Right. You know, so it was Hillary Clinton who chose not to campaign in in Michigan and Wisconsin because her team told her that look, the more we campaign there, the worse we do because people don't like your message. Actually, Putin told the campaign well, there to we go. do that. You don't know, yeah. but yeah. And Robbie Mook says that it was the Russians that divided the Democrats. And no, it was the fact that they uh, were that the party elite were biased against Bernie Sanders. Right. And, and literally conspired against them. I think how many how many people, Dems, consultants, politicians, I think that there's a group of people who would rather Sanders lose the primary and someone who win the primary lose the general. Hundred percent. Right. Of course, of course, because they're not actual progressives. Right. They're self interested phonies who evolve on politics to the left when they're forced to. So, for example. It's not as if even on like social issues, which are you know pretty safe right. politically, it's supposed to be their lane. Yeah, it's supposed to be their lane. It's not as if even it's it's not as if even on that they've been admirable. Like Hillary Clinton opposed same-sex marriage, like pretty pretty much right, right up until recently. I believe that marriage is not just a bond, but a sacred bond between a man and a woman. Same with Barack Obama. Like Glenn Greenwald points out that Obama had. What's his name? Like that homophobe pastor, Rick, uh, Rick Warren, is that Warren, his name? Yeah, okay. Speak at his inauguration. Right. And Obama said something about, you know, uh, yes, you know, uh, marriage is, is about, is between, uh, is like something about, uh, like. In like, the mix or something? Yeah, yeah like, like, like God is in the mix when it comes to yeah. marriage. For me as a Christian, it's also a sacred union. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, God's in, in the mix. Uh-huh. Um, but. Uh, and so the implication would be that God wouldn't want people of the same sex getting married. So all these people are phonies. They only adopt, you know, like superficially progressive positions when they're even forced to. So yeah. why would they want a real authentic progressive in power? Right. You know, and that's why they continually undermine real progressives constantly. What is the, like the, yeah, I mean, I think to be fair, they probably are more comfortable hanging out with, with gay people some of them are gay. I mean, some right-wingers are gay, too, but they're closeted. Um, but, yeah, they're not even, even within the realm of social issues, they're not as progressive as they as they claim or as their fault. Their, their, uh... You know, that's kind of the point. They want us to be impressed by the fact right. that they're comfortable hanging out with gay people. Right. It's if a that's very impressive. low bar. It's right. kind of like, it's kind of like when, you know, when now when we're denouncing Trump about, uh, uh, about supporting Saudi Arabia and the uh, bombardment of Yemen and genocide. The, and, and then some of, us point out, and some of us point out the hypocrisy of people like Ben Rhodes and Samantha Power taking part in that because they also supported, the, they started the uh, Saudi war in Yemen by literally Obama gr- uh, greenlit it, gave, gave his blessing and supplied weapons to it. And when we push back and say, you know, you're kind of being hypocrites here. And like, what did you do when you were in yeah. power to stop this? Ben Rhodes will say, you know what? Relations between us and the Saudis were really chilly. And yeah. there was bad, there was like, it, it's all about the bad vibes. Vibe. There's yeah. bad vibes and we're supposed bad to care. Energy. And it's like, you know, if you're a Yemeni child being bombed by uh, Amer- with American-made weapons, I don't think you care that Obama maybe had some bad feelings towards the government yeah. he was selling them to. Right. I, I don't care about the vibes. I don't care about yeah. the feelings. And this is also the deal I hear a lot when it comes to... Um, 
sort of the liberal media defending uh, very intelligent, very thoughtful conservatives. Yes. yes. Like, who cares <laughs> yeah. how thoughtful you are if yeah. you're if the ultimate thrust of your argument is to bring back slavery? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Or like yeah. the other thing about the low bar, and that's why Democrats like having Republicans in power in some cases, because then they get to differentiate themselves mm-hmm. on those issues. Exactly. And They're not they, nuts. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. We don't want, we don't hate people for being gay. Exactly. Um, we can have dinner with these people. Yeah. Congratulations. Uh, yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. And then they don't have to deal with the fine, with the economic stuff, the financial stuff. Yeah. It's like Thomas uh, Frank's, Tom Frank says in his, in Listen Liberal, it's like a lot of times the the Dems want what the Republicans want. They pretend not to. Is there any uh, political force that, that is just, that most undermines everything it claims to stand for than the Clintons. I mean, the, on every single issue, even on identity politics, they've been awful. And, yeah. and on, on everything that can pretty much be used to attack Trump, they've done the same thing. So Clinton, Bill Clinton, when he was running for president, he got into a fight with Sister Soldier, yeah. like, like like this to rapper. To attack Jesse Jackson, yeah. You know, and so, and, and Bill Clinton was speaking at the Rainbow Coalition conference and he, right. he took some time out to attack Sister Soldier, yeah. a rapper. <laughs> You had a a rap singer here last night named Sister Soldier. I defend her right to express herself through music. But her comments before and after Los Angeles were filled with a kind of hatred that you do not honor today and tonight. Right. I mean, and you think you think you think he wants to have a dialogue with Sister Soldier? No, a rap battle. He, he wanted to. He wanted a dog whistle. Yeah. He 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 paused campaigning to go back to to Arkansas to execute a, a mentally handicapped uh, african-american man um he you know he he signed uh he he signed the mass like mass incarceration bills i mean and everything you know uh, like even on the issue even on the issue of sexual assault the clintons and this is something katie you've done so much work on like and being willing to call out even on the issue of sexual assault which is just like you know, geez, like we, we can't, we, like we, like they can't even not be hypocrites on that because if you look at their records, Bill Clinton and Donald Trump, the sad reality is, I mean, if we practice what we preach, which is that, which is that we believe women, yeah, the sad reality is that Bill Clinton's crimes were worse, yeah, they than were. Donald Trump's, they yes. were, because yeah. Donald Trump has not been accused of rape, right, right, right. Bill Clinton's been accused of rape by at least one Juanita Broderick, uh, yes. yeah, and isn't there some ambiguity? There's also a there was like a, a television anchor as well who yeah yeah and Le- leslie melways melways and uh we talked i talked about this with joshua kendall which everyone should listen to that episode and the bonus he reads his pieces which you should just listen to because it's cool you can listen to him read his articles on it and it's m- many more women than we thought yeah and then hillary clinton shielded Bernie strider that's the aide who sexually yes, harassed someone yes her, so, her faith counselor her faith counselor which is kind of so on brand i have to give it up right. give it up for them but uh yeah he he sexually harassed someone she chose not to fire him mm-hmm. he stayed on the campaign they moved the girl they moved the woman to another area of the campaign then this was in 2008 and then 2016 Cher blue hired him mm-hmm. because if you care about sexual harassment at this point he should be a toxic person right first of all you should have fired him but even if you didn't at least you should be like don't hire this guy well, if you're a creep, but you work for the right people, you just fail up. You get promoted. Exactly, yeah. You creep up. So <laughs> he worked for Cher Blue, and then he got fired for harassment. And I, like, you know, we've had 
now people have come forward about being sexually harassed on the Sanders campaign, mm-hmm. and Sanders has responded to it. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard for me to take people seriously who were silent about the Bernd Strider story, who talk about this story. And I'm not saying it's unimportant, and I'm not saying Sanders gets a pass, but he didn't shield. And Hillary Clinton was uh, her her campaign advisor, her campaign manager recommended she fire this guy, mm-hmm. and she ignored she the advice. Yeah. 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 And so, because the Clintons care about loyalty, yeah. and that's why they 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 made like back like before Clinton was running in 2016, they made lists of who was not loyal to them back in 2008 when she ran against Obama, and they worked to undermine them. I mean, all they care all they care about is 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 winning and themselves, and right. you know, and at the and that goes above all these things that they claim to like to support. For some reason, this is where it gets back to psychological. We've imbued in them these qualities that I think we really want in ourselves, partly because the alternatives are so awful because yeah. you can't support a Republican, obviously. <laughs> so then the next best thing is these people coming along, and but that that gives them way more, like that gives them qualities that they don't actually have. Right. And the same right. thing, same thing with Obama too. We all really wanted him to be this like inspirational right. figure who was going to deliver hope, but really he was just a great marketer. Right. Yeah. Well, to be fair to Hillary and the Clintons, maybe they just didn't want to be hypocrites, so they didn't want to chast, you know, get Bern Strider in trouble for doing something that Bill himself had done. Yeah. Except way worse, because he actually raped Juanita Broderick, who people just overtly ignore or yep. pathologize because she's a Trump supporter. Yeah. And it's not very hard to see why she's a Trump supporter sure. when everyone else was ignoring her. Yeah. And then people think they're geniuses. They're like, you think Trump cares about sexual assault? We're like, no, he's an opportunist. Yeah. And the reason he was able to latch on to someone like Broderick is because no one else would support her. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, you know, listen, I, you know, Winnie Broderick is a Trump supporter. So she says things that I obviously yes, don't agree of course, with. Yeah. But then I look at her or- ordeal and, you know, if, if I were raped by somebody... And then I was like, you know, and she tried to keep it private. Yeah. But yeah. It, it, it did come out. And then she went through a horrible ordeal and she was and she was smeared. And so, you know, like I like I can't judge her. Exactly. For her, yeah. I for, can't. Yeah. For how she goes about and it. And you don't have to like someone's tweets to believe them or believe yeah. that they deserve um, being paid attention to. And our good friend, Philip Renz, who's a big fan of yours, called her, said she was full of shit. On right. a podcast. Right. He's a Clinton advisor. He's a, a Clinton, Clinton advisor. Clinton. So, yeah. Clinton aide who would play Trump in the debates. Um, yeah. He said she was uh, full of shit. Can you imagine? If so- I mean, that's worse than... No No one on the right said that about Christine Blasey Ford even. Yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah. I mean, I I can't speak for everything. I mean, I'm sure some ma- nasty things were said about her. Oh, of course. Know? But I'm yeah. sorry. When I yeah. say that, I mean no equivalent. And I mean, Donald Trump totally said, you know, she he mocked her. But no one... No equivalent of Philip Reigns said anything like that about... I mean, they did something fucked up, which was weird and gaslighting and condescending, which is that she's not lying. She just doesn't remember who the person was. Mm-hmm. Which is... I mean, it's it's their updated Anita Hill thing. Instead of calling her a little bit nutty, a little bit slutty, they're like, she's a little bit PTSD'd. Right. And she's okay. also a white woman, so... Yeah. Um, yeah. So given all this, right, when you're just like massive hypocrites on even the issues that you're supposed to be better on... Right. And you have no real progressive platform, and you've taken part in a bipartisan foreign policy consensus yep. forever. The, the in which you know, and it could be worse also because sometimes they're more hawkish than isolationists. Exactly. Yes. Right. Yeah. Then you have all the more incentive to blame Russia for all of our problems. And they started doing that the night of the election loss, right? Over pizza. 
even before, but yes, I mean, it's the the book Shattered, which is like the definitive right. account of the Clinton campaign so far. Um, check it out on Audible. Ch- Don't check it out. Donate to is, our Patreon. Is then. Audible a sponsor of the show? No. Okay, so forget <laughs> so it. We'll do, we At 1.5 speed. We should do a reading, a part sure. of it, and then people check that out, and then become Patreon supporters. Just yeah. re- like it, 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 it reports that within 24 hours of Clinton's loss, the Clinton campaign team started like deciding that this election was not kosher. Uh, it was co- it was Comey's fault and it was the Russians' fault and they worked very hard to spin those narratives, and if you look at all the narratives that have come up since, including this notion that like Russian social media uh, influenced voters, the Clintons and some Obama people too had a big role in that as well. What do you mean? They literally like fa- like Facebook was initially asked to investigate Russian social media on their platform. And they came back and said, we, we found some stuff, but it's mostly just clickbait trash for commercial purposes. Right. So according to the Washington Post, um, uh, I'll, li- I'll put a link to it after, sure. this, uh, after this episode comes out. According to the Washington Post, the Clinton, uh, the Clinton team and some Obama aides heard that, and th- that didn't jive with them. So, so they started doing their own research, and they started coming up with this theory that actually that there was more to it than that and that Russian social media had specifically targeted key demographics. They passed that on to their to Democrats in the Senate. Democratic Senator Mark Warner then flew out to Facebook to its headquarters. Right. And not long after that, in the summer of 2017, was when we first started hearing about Russian social media and the, these Russian ads, sophisticated Russian ads targeting vulnerable Americans when everything we've seen about the ads since, I mean, totally undermines that claim and i've written about this in the nation i mean it's all it's it's a it's a disinformation it's an american disinformation campaign to convince us that there is a russian disinformation campaign right also really quickly want to just add to what you mentioned with the clinton um dog whistling hillary also talked about how she was like leading in the white among white working class voters (laughs) she started the she was she she didn't really push back on the obama maybe muslim claim she She fueled it yeah yeah. And and we know, I mean, we we know people have said that, and we know what we from just video of her. She's like, there's no reason not to believe him, not to take him at his word. Yeah. And you said you take Senator Obama at his word that he's not right. a Muslim. You right. don't believe that he's a no. Muslim. And no, why would I? No, right. no, there there is nothing to to base that on, as far as I know. It's just skirt. She, you know, uh, Bill Clinton compared Jesse Jackson to Obama. Then he was asked about it on the radio. He said their campaign was playing the race card. <laughs> then the next day he was asked on video what he meant when he said that. And he said, I did not say that. And also people keep talking about how, how vicious and nasty the 2016 primary was and how unprecedented it was. Again, Hillary said she ha- couldn't drop out because we all remember what happened to Bobby Kennedy. That's right. <laughs> right? That's like right. she referenced the assassination right. of Bobby Kennedy as a reason That's to right. not drop out. So. For me, it comes down to, I mean, just... To, to do some armchair psychoanalysis, I'm I'm, yeah. I'm literally sitting in an armchair. Yeah, that's true. We to me, the Clintons are miserable people, uh-huh. as evidenced by their miserable marriage, their complete, their their mendacity, and just the just mendacity look, of hope. The mendacity of hope, and they've taken out their misery on the rest of the planet. Yeah, and 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 in in this, and they've tried to to comfort with this by cultivating this image of themselves as being like in, in like enlightened liberals and. But it's a, it's a, it's a mirage, and we're all still paying the price for it. Because in 2019, we're still talking about 2016, and we're talking about you know like 
Trump's Trump's campaign manager Paul Manafort and his <laughs> business dealings in Ukraine way before the 2016 election. Still trying to tie that somehow to a Trump Russia conspiracy, um, and on and on and on and on and on. And so it's just sad. And the so the refusal of failed neoliberal elites <laughs> like the Clintons to just accept that their their whole model has failed and it's over. The refusal to and, and, and the refusal of their acolytes to accept that reality too, uh, is I think what is giving us Russiagate today. And the sooner that it's over with, then the sooner that I think anybody who doesn't want to see Trump reelected in twenty twenty can take on the serious task of of creating a real politics, politics that actually speaks to people's concerns and speaks to issues in their real lives, like wages and healthcare, all the things that the Clintons have tried to avoid talking about for years and try to like shift their way around with like ambiguous statements and like, you know, um, and, and, and like kind of trying to cover up the fact that they just have weak policies and don't have any real integrity. So the sooner all that can be discarded, the sooner we can get about that work. And so that's why... That, real that, meaningful change. You mean like uh, two years of uh, of college maybe paid for. Exactly. And uh, a <laughs> middle class uh, tax tax break. Yes. And... Uh, How about and, that? And and access to health care. Not... Not not maybe health not not just healthcare but access to healthcare right and you insured know? not underinsured not like partial partially yeah. covered yeah um and any who else would you recommend to for people to follow you're one of the leading uh, RussiaGate skeptics reality checkers who else would you recommend people follow or read uh, Max Blumenthal has always done great work on this uh, and he's been you know uh, he's been exposing some of the like, like that aspect I was talking about in terms of like the shady growth industry. Right. Friend uh, of the show, Max. Uh, funded by the Atlantic Council. And so he's been, he's done some work recently about this thing called the Integrity Initiative, oh, yeah. which is literally a well. British government funded um, operation uh, that, that, that is supposed to, that is, you know, in name, it's supposed to be targeting Russian white disinformation. But if you, if you look at what it's actually done, it's part of it has gone after real progressives like Jeremy Corbyn, you know. Uh, so Max has done some great work on that, and uh, Glenn Greenwald, obviously, and, and actually, you know what? Since I'm no longer at the Real News, the number one source right now for like real journal for like for journal for like journalism um, pushing back on RussiaGate and debunking its claims uh, when it comes to like a video platform is the Jimmy, Jimmy Dore Dorsha, Show. Yeah, uh, a literally, it's journalism has been de- degraded to right. such an extent that the the, the are that that a comedian jack off comedian a jack off comedian yes yeah. is doing the best work and jimmy's been doing this from the beginning uh challenging russiagate not while everyone else has been drinking the kool-aid and taking all of its claims on faith jimmy's been scrutinizing and, and pushing back and he deserves a lot of credit for it and so that is like to that, that to me right now is like the go-to right. source right and uh for hard-hitting journalism yeah and, and you know um uh, i do think that as uh, as Mueller's report hopefully draws near, it's going to be harder and harder to sustain this narrative. So hopefully we won't see Russiagate for much longer. Yeah, wow. Famous last words. Famous last words. And how do you keep the faith? Just to, uh, Does it get you down? I, I mean, it's funny. I, w- I had David Sirota on, and, and he was saying, he's like, I walk around feeling like shit. Uh, he said that on record. I'm not like outing some yeah. personal conversation. Yeah. Um, does it get you down when people attack you constantly as what a Trump apologist, as a useful idiot? No. No. Because they're just words. So words don't matter. It's just true. It, <laughs> Sticks and stones may break no, but, my but, bones. But, but yeah. That's true. It's it, it just words. And, you know, our own personal feelings, unfortunately, don't really matter. They mm. don't. They don't. 
but like it's because it's, it's just politics like you know um as, as like like chomsky when he's asked like what gives you hope he says it, it doesn't matter because whether whether you have hope or not is irrelevant to what to 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 the to your decisions to actually undertake action because if you if you do nothing then you're going to guarantee that everything right. is hopeless but so, so the point is only what are you going to do about it and uh you know i i certainly think that there's a lot to be encouraged by i mean look how much even the, the democratic spectrum has been well, yes. i shouldn't say how much to a certain extent the democratic spectrum has been pushed to the left in a way that was unthinkable by like, a non-democrat yeah bernie by bernie sanders like you know like hillary clinton in the 2016 campaign saying that universal health care will never, never ever, ever happen yeah you know but look at now you can't be a viable democratic candidate unless you endorse medicare for right you know it's so toxic that, not so it. that's just you no know, so and, and that, that that doesn't mean things are going to change overnight but it just means that 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 um things change when people stick to their principles and and work hard at them no matter what the possible outcome is because it's just the right thing to do great thank you thanks aaron thank you Thank you so much for listening to The Katie Halper Show. Please rate and review us on iTunes. Please consider becoming Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash The Katie Halper Show. Find Aaron Mate on Twitter at Aaron J. Mate. That's A-A-R-O-N-J-M-A-T-E. You can find me on Twitter at Katie Helps. Letter K, letter T, H-A-L-P-S. You can find our hashtag Katie Helps Show at K-T Helps Show. That's letter K, letter T, H-A-L-P-S-H-O-W. You can find Gabe Pacheco at Gabe underscore Pacheco. Our sound editor is Ted Reading, and our theme music comes from the band Cordoba. Oh,